Today's January 29th, 2021. Biden takes aim at the minimum wage. Central and South American immigrants look for loosening refugee laws. And retail investors send GameStop to the moon. Welcome back, Split the Difference friends and Split the Difference family. We got another great episode for you today, bright and early on this Friday morning, bringing it to you hot with all the best news and insights from the left and the right. And of course, we're doing our best to find that sweet, sweet truth that lies right there in the middle. Couple of updates, as you guys may know, as I announced earlier on podcasts this week and on various social media platforms, we have a giveaway going on right now. This is to celebrate our 50th episode spectacular that will be coming out next Monday. Super excited to already be hitting my 50th episode. And along with that, we have our first guest episode that'll be rolling out here within the next week. This guest is going to be great. This guest is going to be anything and everything that you could have ever dreamed of. I'm not even overselling it. He is an awesome guy. Y'all will enjoy listening into that episode, and that will be dropping sometime around the beginning or middle of next week. So make sure you get in, enter for that giveaway, do your best to win that $50 Amazon gift card because who doesn't want a free $50, right? All you got to do is just share the podcast around, which I know a lot of you want to be doing anyway. So with all of that having been said, let's hop on into our first story of the day, story number one. So for our first story of the day, Biden takes his aim on the minimum wage. This is an argument that has been going on between the left and the right for a long time, and Biden has finally set his sights on it, and he wants to try and handle it, okay? He stated a few times over the past week or so that he plans on making it a sticking point in his presidency and his economic policy going forward. He's planning right now to tack it on to the COVID stimulus bill that is set to get worked up and passed through Congress here in the next few weeks. They've got a couple other important things that are going on in Congress, like, you know, maybe some appointees for Biden. Oh, and also maybe impeaching the previous sitting president. Uh, so I think a lot of Democrats at this point actually have come to realize it's going to be very difficult for them to get a $15 minimum wage passed through Congress in some type of, uh, maybe if it's a spending package or like a budget package or something like that. So Biden is instructing Congress and wants Congress to, and many agree with Biden, that they want to just tack it on to the next COVID stimulus bill that they end up rolling out because it's kind of an easier way to get it pushed through. The Republicans are going to be on the hook for trying to get something pushed through with the COVID stimulus. They're going to catch a lot of heat if they don't. That's a very, very very popular thing in America right now, and they just need 50 votes in the Senate in order to be able to do it because they always have the tie-breaking vote of Kamala Harris. So um, putting it on the COVID bill, I think is kind of like the, I don't know, that's like the easy way to get it done, you know what I mean? And that's what I think that they're trying to go for. So there's a bunch of arguments on both sides of the aisle about whether or not the minimum wage should A, even be there, and of course B, what what it should be set at, right? Should it be pinned to inflation? Should it just be slowly but surely pushed up? Should it be increased significantly like Biden wants right now? They want to hit it, just nail it straight on to the $15 an hour, which is an incredibly large jump from where it is right now. Um, and honestly, this debate's got a lot of ammunition from both sides. There's not a very clear consensus from a lot of the research and a lot of the literature that has been put out around it 
as to what a minimum wage really actually does to the economy. Um, and with heightened political tensions, many researchers are currently saying that it's incredibly difficult to actually get papers published around this because the politics politics are so high around it. The stakes are so high around it. And a lot of, especially more, I guess, conservative researchers and stuff argue that it is difficult for them to get their point out and get papers published and get research actually published out because the the narrative is so firmly in the control of the media, which is, tends to be a little more left-wing, and academia, which also tends to be very left-wing. Um, so... I guess it'd be helpful. Let's go ahead and hop in and take a look at what both sides of the aisle want around this and kind of look at the good and bad on both because, you know, that's what we like to do here on Split the Difference. So the left is all in on support for raising the minimum wage. And like I said earlier, not by just a little bit, but up to $15. Currently, the federal minimum wage is set at $7.25, which would mean that raising it up to 15% would be a 100% over 100% increase from where it's at right now. That is a significant increase. I mean, for you're talking about the minimum that employee employers are allowed to pay employees across the country. It would be illegal for them to pay their employees anything less than $15 an hour if that was the only wage that they were getting. So with all of that having been said, the left argue that that's needed. So the left, you know, for the most part is... You know, looking at, all right, if somebody's making $7.25 right now at the current minimum wage, you're making around $15,000 a year. Everybody knows that's not enough to, not even close to being enough to live on. It doesn't matter how podunk of a town you live in, that is not enough money for you to be able to live, let alone support a family, let alone to be able to save for any type of retirement, let alone being able to do anything outside of just breathe and eat, you know, like Cheez-Its all day. So um, we know every that your rent is going to cost well of probably around $15,000 a year. And that has nothing to do if you're living in New York or if you're living in Chicago or LA or any of the larger cities, you know, $15,000 a year doesn't even cover your rent. You know, that doesn't include your food, transportation, clothing, all the things that you need in order to be able to survive in this day and age, right? So one of the big, biggest arguments from the left is how much the cost of living in America has increased along with corporate profits, okay? So if you look, you know, way, way back into the, you know, or the 50s and up into the 60s, corporate profits, inflation, and the cost of living have dramatically increased since then, while the minimum wage, for the most part, has stayed pretty low, okay? The last increase, I think, was around 10 years ago during the Obama era, uh, and I think even then it was only like a very, very small increase. Like I think it was like 25 cents or 50 cents or something like that. Uh, the minimum wage in the 80s, okay, was like I think like $4 an hour somewhere in there. So if wages currently increased at the same rate that corporate profits and cost of, cost of living has increased over the past 60 years, the median wage in America hear this, would be over $100,000. I believe, depending on some estimates, it'd be somewhere around $104,000 a year. That would be the median household income in America if wages increase at the same pace that a lot of these other ind economic indicators had been going up. Right now, it is currently right around $50,000. That is not a lot of money, okay? So, 
Many on the left are pointing to very business-friendly tax laws for large corporations, the lack of regulation that was in force uh, over the past couple of decades, especially starting in the Reagan era with the whole you know trickle-down economics thing, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, the, ref- the left is basically saying businesses have been making their hay for the last 40 years at the expense of low-wage earners that they employ. It's time for us to raise that minimum wage, at least put the low-income and the low-wage workers back to where it would be somewhat more reasonable footing, okay? And $15 an hour still isn't all that much money in the grand scheme of things. Even if you're living in a very low cost-of-living area, $15 an hour is still barely a livable livable wage. So, um, the left, I think it's important to point out here, realizes that increasing the minimum wage of $15 an hour would hurt the profits of a lot of businesses, but are okay with that if it means that employees will have more money at the end of the day. So, what does the right have to say? The right is pretty wholly against raising the minimum wage especially when it's tacked onto a COVID stimulus bill. So many cite how this would negatively affect small businesses because of the sudden increase in expenses, which is absolutely true. If you're a small business and you've got employees that you are regularly paying $7.25 an hour, and then the next day that over doubles, then the likelihood that a small business would be able to pay those employees at that higher rate is very, very small, okay? Especially because a small business also will have to pay payroll taxes on wages, and Joe Biden wants to increase those payroll taxes as well, on those wages to employees, so they would end up have, be having to pay you know, more than a 100% increase on employees that they were previously paying $7.25 an hour. The Republicans normally tend to be uh, in the more pro-business camp, right? They just have been. That's just kind of the Republic, Republican shtick, right? Um, and argue that when businesses do well, employees do well because many people are, a lot more people are able to be hired. And if businesses are going to be making more money, then they're able to pay their employees better. You've probably heard the phrase trickle-down economics that basically started around the Reagan era in the 80s with the Milton Friedman kind of laissez-faire type of uh, libertarian economy. And I've talked about this you know, a whole lot on the podcast in the past. But the idea is basically if big businesses are doing well, then that money is going to just trickle down to the people that are, you know, the lower wage earners in the economy and everybody will be doing better. So you need to have a lack of regulation for those businesses and you need to have a very, very low or no minimum wage at all in order to be able to help those businesses out so they can hire more people. However, I will say this has really not tended to be the case over the last 50 to 60 years, okay? Um, Businesses and, you know, Wall Street profits have absolutely exploded over the past 50 to 60 years, and the median wage of Americans really hasn't kept up with inflation. Some of the right is a bit open to a minimum wage increase at par with the increase of inflation, but right now are saying that $15 an hour is way too much of an increase, right? So, the right is like, okay, if you feel like you have to have a minimum wage, that's fine, but like, let's just only bump it up by just a little bit, and then we can bump it up maybe a little bit more later. You know, We can legislate that in later, but it shouldn't be tacked onto a COVID stimulus bill, and it definitely shouldn't go up to $15 an hour. That's going to destroy small business in America. So there's legitimacy to both sides of the aisle, right? There's no doubt that the vast majority of workers in America are being paid less because, of course, it means more money for corporations. One of the largest expenses that corporations have 
is salaries and wages of their employees, okay? If they are able to pay their employee less, then the business, of course, is going to take home more money. And the idea I think that the right has that the free market, the free labor market will regulate salaries completely has been shown to not be entirely true. Um, and it's because there's no such thing as a completely free market, okay? At least not in America as it stands right now. And you know, please don't take this as an argument for socialism or an argument that the government should step in and totally control every part of business. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that in the era of the early 1900s and Teddy Roosevelt, uh, there's a reason why he stepped, wanted to step in and basically start knocking heads with all these gigantic food packaging and processing plants because there were absolutely no regulations at all outside of you can't force children to work 16-hour days. And the employees were being paid literally cents on the dollar, okay? Very, very little money for incredibly intense manual labor being required to work 12 and 14 hours a day and could barely afford to be able to live and be able to afford their food. So um, the reason why the, some of these regulations have to come into place is because when you say that everything is thrown out the window at the expense of corporate profits, obviously the employees are the ones that are going to be affected by it. They're the ones that are going to be hit. So my thought on this is that there absolutely needs to be something done about the stagnant wage growth in America. But ramming through a $15 minimum wage tacked onto the back end of a COVID stimulus bill is not the way to do it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm a big proponent, proponent of setting a higher minimum wage and then allowing for small businesses to apply to receive federal tax credits in order to relieve the burden. So basically how that would work is you say you have to pay your employees at $15 an hour, but if you were able to prove to us that as a small business, and you could, I mean, we have a definition for a small business here in America, as a small business, if that is significantly damaging your corporate profits and you are going to have to lay off people as a result of it, then you let us know and we will give you corporate tax credits, all right, that you would then be able to use to reduce the burden of having to pay those employees $15 an hour. That way, it would be the large corporations that can already afford to pay their employees $15 an hour then would then be paying and subsidizing those smaller businesses that couldn't afford that $15 an hour, you know, and everything would be all well and good. I'm sure it probably wouldn't work out perfectly like that. But I am also a huge fan of tying the salaries of CEOs and the C-suite executives to the median wage of the employees within the company. So I don't have a problem at all with the CEO making good money. They worked hard to get there. They're, most of them are incredibly well-educated and they have way more responsibility than somebody that's you know stocking shelves in the back of Walmart. The CEO of Walmart has a significant amount more responsibility. He should be paid, right? He should be paid for that. But there's no reason why a CEO should be making 75 or $100 million a year and have that salary subsidized by minimum wage workers that they're paying $7 an hour in order to be able to stock shelves and do manual labor, okay? All I, all I would think that you would need to do is say, okay, well, let's just go ahead and say that a CEO is not allowed to make more than 500% of what the median salary is for the company. Simple and easy, right? The C-suite, if you want to start making more money, you got to pay your employees, right? You have to pay your employees more money. Um, at the end of the day, 
It's a toss-up. You have no idea what the Democrats and Republicans are going to actually end up pushing through. I have a feeling that they likely will end up getting this $15 minimum wage pushed through if they tack it onto a COVID stimulus bill. But I also think that Mitch McConnell would step in and filibuster the heck out of that thing if they tried to get that through. So we'll have to see how it all ends up working out. So with all of that, that's the end of our story number one. Let's hop on into our second story of the day. Story number two. So for our second story of the day, immigrants look for a loosened refugee laws here in the United States. So Biden is expected to sign an executive order today that would essentially allow for tens of thousands more immigrants from Central and South America to make their way into the United States. And this would be through allowing people in as refugees. So He's planning on increasing the cap of refugees that are allowed to come in to the United States. Trump set it at 15,000, which is obviously not that many. Biden has proposed that he wants that number to be close to 125,000, maybe even higher. Uh, He's planning on signing an executive order to not increase it to 125 just yet, but to bump it up much higher than 15. Um, There also is currently a caravan of immigrants moving up through Mexico. A lot of them are coming from Honduras, hoping to seek asylum in the United States now that Biden has been elected. Um, I think a lot of them recognize how tough Trump was on immigration, and they believe that Biden will likely be much more relaxed on letting people into the country. So let's hop in real quick and take a look. This is a video um, put out by AFP News, uh, that is, uh, and I'll have to read a lot of the stuff on the screen as well because there isn't any words that are said. It is basically just images and videos of immigrants that are traveling up from Honduras heading to the United States. So let's hop in and take a look at this now. Seeking a better life, these migrants are heading north towards America. There's pictures of, you know, a large caravan of people. More than 3,000 people are on the move, fleeing poverty, violence, and the aftermath of hurricanes. If you don't know Spanish, she's basically saying there's no opportunities from where they're from, and they don't want to suffer any longer, so they're deciding to head up to the United States. There's just truckloads of people coming through. Um, they've been met with, there's, here's images now of police officers standing there with shields and riot gear on. Um, and you know, they're all basically moving up in a large crowd heading towards the United States. So, um, basically what Biden is saying is he's like, listen, I've, I want a more lax immigration policy. This is something that uh, the ma- the vast majority of the left is on and a portion of the right is on board with as well. Trump was extremely hard on immigration. That was his shtick. For some reason, he just really, really drove that point home that like he wanted to be the guy that ended or stopped illegal immigration. Um, so Biden has come in and promised amnesty cur- to millions of immigrants that are currently already here in the United States illegally. Um, he's also promised to bring back and basically bolster DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which is basically an Obama-era bill that gave a path to citizenship for children that were brought into the United States illegally and have lived pretty much their entire lives in the United States. There are some estimates that that could be upwards of a million to a million and a half people in the United States that are currently living here you know, were educated in American schools, speak fluent English, have don't even remember the countries that they were at, they were originally born in, but they're here illegally because they were brought here by family. So what do the left and the right have to say about this? So 
the left has very varying views on this um, from basically let ev- absolutely everyone in and have the borders completely open to grant asylum to refugees but don't have completely open borders. Um, this has been one of the more interesting, I think, maybe one of the more interesting stories and kind of um, arguments that has kind of developed over the past 20 to 30 years in United States politics because in a lot of ways, both sides have completely flip-flopped on the issue for what they were saying, especially during the 90s and the Bill Clinton era. So Democrats in the 90s were all for closing borders because bringing in low-skilled, low-wage workers was hurting the domestic job markets, many of which voted for Democrats. Many viewed the influx of those immigrants as damaging to our social programs as well, whether it was disability, Medicaid and Medicare, hospital systems, you know, etc., And the Democrats have now kind of flipped on that completely. They are all game for open borders and, you know, in the hopes that when people get there, they can eventually grant them citizenship and hopefully have those people's votes. The right has all of a sudden taken a huge, you know, hardline stance against immigration over the past 15 years. Back in the day, the right was all for opening up borders for immigration. Now, when I say that opening up borders, I don't necessarily mean allowing total free flow of illegal immigration. But what I mean is very simply that they wanted to have a more influx, a higher influx of low-skilled, low-wage workers that were coming in from more third-world countries because it would keep wage growth very, very small and would be you know, very beneficial for businesses. Trump came in and in a lot of ways, really, really changed the name of the game. Like Bush was, you know, trying to push for a border wall to be able to ramp up security, but he wasn't, he wasn't really hardline against like not letting anybody in. Trump, on the other hand, came in and was basically like, we don't want to allow in uh, H, H1, H1B visas. We don't want to allow in low, low skilled workers. We don't want to allow hardly anybody in. We want to make America great again from what we already have here, okay? And that, historically, is not what the Republicans have really been all about. So, the thing that's confusing to me is that the problem is incredibly simple, right? Like, anybody with common sense can look at this problem and be like, okay, well, allowing illegal immigrants into the United States is not a good thing. It's taxing on the economy, it's taxing on uh, our hospital systems, our school systems, because these people are coming in illegally, and of course they're not paying taxes and funding all of these things that they are using, right? But you also want to be able to have a country where you are allowing people to come in and have a path towards citizenship relatively easy because if and when you do that, you have more people in the United States that can create more jobs that can then essentially pay more money in taxes, right? It's a great way for your country to grow. Our problem currently is that Trump made it it made extremely stringent immigration laws and wanted to tighten down border security, but he didn't have the funding or the backing to actually do it. Now, Biden wants to come in and loosen security at the border without funding it at all, like taking away and stripping especially uh, the ice, uh, ice down there uh, near the border from actually having funding, um, and then loosen asylum laws for people that are coming in as refugees, right? Without giving them a path towards citizenship. The sweet, the sweet, sweet middle between all of that is tighten your border security and make sure that you know who's coming into the country and when they come into the country, who they are and how they have a right to be or how to be able to get them to pay taxes, right? Then make it easier for people to get citizenship. 
Don't make your laws for immigration so incredibly stringent that people have to come in illegally if they're going to be able to come into the country, right? Ask anybody that you know that has gotten their citizenship and moved here from another country, and they will tell you how incredibly difficult that it is in order to gain citizenship in the United States. It's incredibly difficult to be able to do. So make it easier for people to get visas, make it easier for people to be able to move to the United States permanently, create more jobs, pay more money in taxes, enrich the culture in the United States, right? But also make sure you know who those people are. There, it has You have to have a mixture of both, okay? And right now we've just got the worst of all of the worlds, which is pretty classic. So with all that having been said, that is the end of our second story of the day. Let's hop on into our third story and last story, story number three. So for our third story of the day, GameStop goes to the moon. I'm sure that many of you have been seeing this all over the news for the past couple of days. Honestly, this has been like, this has been hilarious. It has been like my finance. I've been totally geeking out about this because it really is an incredible thing that has happened. So if you don't know what is going on currently in the stock market and with a couple of different hedge funds and a subreddit called Wall Street Bets. So uh, a couple, basically, uh, I think it was in 2012, a subreddit called Wall Street Bets was fun- founded on Reddit. This subreddit was basically a place where you could gather together, uh, talk a little crap to other people around you, say some things that are pretty mean, and post all of your gains and your losses on there for you basically just treating the stock market like a casino, right? Just go in there and gamble around, you know, put put your play money in there, post about it, talk about it, make fun of people, have a good time, right? Well, about, I would say middle of last year, a whole bunch of people on Wall Street Bets got together and realized that GameStop was one of the most overly shorted stocks on the market right now. I mean, totally, totally shorted, all right? And in case you don't know what it means to short a stock. So shorting a stock in a, and I guess the simplest way is, uh, or phrase or um, words that you can put it in is instead of buying a stock in order to be able to open up a position. So instead of buying it to open a position, you sell in order to open a position. And the way that you do that is you borrow the stock from a brokerage, okay, and then you sell that stock on the open market at a high, at basically a price that is higher. Okay. The idea is you think that that stock price is going to go down. So when the stock price actually goes down, you then buy those shares back from the free market and you give them back to the broker and you keep that money that was there in between, right? So the idea is all of these large head funds, mainly Melvin Capital, thought that GameStop was just going to go all the way down into nothing. It was going to basically be worth ab- absolute pennies here or bankrupt completely around the middle to beginning of 2020. Well, they shorted it and it was completely over leveraged because in order to short a stock, you have to take all of it out on margin, which means it's basically out on a loan. So all of these people on Wall Street Bets get together look at it and see that it's shorted. And they realize that if they get a whole bunch of people to go in and to buy GameStop stock, GameStop stock, that it would drive the price of GameStop up 
And in order for <laughs> in order for those those large hedge funds to actually close out their positions, they have to buy the stock, which only drives the price of the stock up higher. So it's called a short squeeze in the market. That's what it's called. But basically, all of these all, honestly, completely retail investors came in and started buying up GameStop stock, right? Sending it through the roof, okay? And the more that they bought, the more the hedge funds started to freak out, trying to close out their positions, trying to borrow more money, the higher that this stock price started to go. So eventually, over the past, I think all of this really kind of hit the fan yesterday, but eventually this stock price is gone, I mean, literally through the roof to hundreds of dollars. I think that it closed yesterday right around $300. It started at like 10. Okay. So that's how much this stock price has gone up. They have almost completely bankrupted a hedge fund called Melvin Capital, okay? Robinhood, a free trading platform like Fidelity or Charles Schwab or any of those, halted trading on GameStop and a few other stocks that um, a bunch of people in the subreddit were talking about and are now, now have class action lawsuits filed against them through the SEC. I mean, blown up. All of these gigantic institutional investors are just flooding in, condemning everything that these guys on this subreddit and girls on this subreddit have done, talking about how they're basically manipulating the market, when, in reality, a lot of these gigantic hedge funds and market makers and institutional investors are going out and manipulating and moving money around in very large quantities all day, every single day. For the first time in history, a gigantic amount of retail investors got together and basically stuck it to a gigantic institutional stock uh, trading and hedge fund manager and are making bukus of money, like unbelievable amount of money. So, and all the drama that happened with Robinhood yesterday, AOC tweeted about how they, uh, how, you know, they're basically in some deep, deep doo-doo. Ted Cruz tweeted that he agreed with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You know, you know that that was never going to happen unless whoever made the problem did something very, very bad. Ben Shapiro is in on the action talking about how terrible everything is. I mean, Democrats, Republicans, everybody are getting together and they're basically like, you know what? I'm okay with retail investors actually making money for the first time and sticking it to Wall Street, which is like, literally has never happened. This is the most unprecedented stock market move that the world has ever seen. So, huge interesting story. I have been totally geeking out about it because it is very very heavy finance related and I love finance. It's it's fun. It's what I, you know, what I went to school for. So, uh, it has been a ton of fun watching it. I have friends that have made a ton of money on it over the past couple of weeks. I also have friends that have lost a lot of money on it in the past couple of weeks. It's been up and down and a total roller coaster, but it really has been incredible to see the amount of people that have nothing to do with the stock market, like don't trade actively, aren't super into finance or equity positions that are being like, wait a second, this is craziness. Like all of these people just random people on Reddit got together and actually made the market move. Pretty cool stuff. So if you haven't read any more about it, totally should go and read some articles about it because it's been really fun to watch over the past week or so.
So with all of that, that is the end of our third story of the day. We can go ahead and hop in now to our last segment, something that made me smile. So something that made me smile this week, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I'm going to have to mention it again, but it is my first ever guest episode. Of course I'm pumped about that. I think the Split the Difference podcast is going to be pushing out some great new content here over the next couple of months that I hope a lot of you will enjoy. And I think that this is one of the, this is basically like the first step in getting us there. I'm hoping that it's going to push people to share the podcast around a little bit more. It's going to allow me to get in the ears of some new listeners that I hope will enjoy the content and enjoy the show. And, you know, he's a good buddy of mine, so I always enjoy sitting around and talking with him and chatting and having a good time. So that's my Made Me Smile for this week. I hope that it also makes y'all smile as well. So with all that having been said, that is the end of our show today. Thank you so much for stopping in, for dropping by, and for checking us out. Hope that you enjoyed the content, and if you do, drop us a like and a subscribe, five-star review, share us around to all your friends and family. I'm on Instagram at Split the Difference Podcast. I'm on Facebook at Split the Difference, YouTube Split the Difference, and of course, my website as well with all the information that you'll need at splitthedifference.com. All of those with one T. So go in there, find me, drop me a like and subscribe, you know, hit me up and tell me what you like about the show. All of that goes a really, really far way. So As always, guys, signing off, we're going to remember to do our best to be level-headed. We're going to always be reasonable, and of course, we're going to split the difference. This is Austin Taylor.